Isn't that so true that if we cannot see God in the little things, how in the world are we going to see him in the bigger things? We say that to our children all the time. In fact, when my grandchildren come over, they, they, they always ask Papa for cereal. And so I say, well, we have cereal. And they say, but I don't want that one. So I give them the option. I say, you can either have this cereal or you can starve. See, either one. So they're grateful for this cereal. But sometimes we're just not grateful for the things we have. We miss out on what God is actually doing because of not seeing the little things that God is doing. And having that grateful heart really allows us to see even the greater things of God because we're looking for even the smallest of things. A kind word someone has said, uh, maybe something your spouse did for you or something that you did for someone that you did it out of the kindness of your heart. That's a God movement kind of thing happening. Or when God blesses you in, in such a small way, but, but you've forgotten that even in the little things that God can do those God moment things. And in those small little things that happen, if we're not faithful in being thankful for that, then why would God do the bigger things it's kind of like God saying, if I'm going to do the bigger things, I'm going to have to prepare you here so that you can handle the bigger things. In order for you to handle this, you're going to have to build the character in which to handle these things. That's why we see many sports athletes just fresh out of college or, or just being so young, not understanding economics, they'll get the million-dollar contracts. And then later on, a couple years later, we find them on the news or they did something wrong or they're arrested or they're no longer playing the game because they didn't have the character built back here to go along with the big responsibility here. And it's the principle that God gives to us. He says, if you're not faithful in a little, you're not going to be faithful in much. Which reminds us of a story that comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to look at a story from a, a, a young boy by the name of David. Now, David is one of my fa uh, favorite Bible characters because I can relate to him a lot. And he is a, he's, he's a, he's a young man who, who is a little bit kolohe. He's rascal. So when I was a teenager, same thing. And I look at his life and I think, how did God bring him from being a shepherd boy into becoming one of Israel's greatest kings? from shepherd boy to king. And that's what we want to look at today. If you have your notes from your bulletin, you can take that out. We're going to talk about that as we continue our series, The Adventures of God's Great Change. Now here at our church at New Hope, we, we know that this year God has given us a word that this is the year of change. That before God is going to change anything in our church, he's going to have to change something in the church, which is us, the people. And so whenever God wants to do a great change, he's going to do little by little to bring us to the greater changes. We're using the scripture out of Isaiah that says he is the potter, that we're the clay. And whenever God puts his hand on us, even though at times it may be painful or it may seem uncomfortable, we, gotta, we can trust that his, when his hand is on us, he's doing a great work in us that we can't even see for ourselves, but we trust in his name. We trust his character. We trust in his abilities and in his love for us. And even at times where he's going to carve some things out and tell us this doesn't belong in your life, or he's going to do some changes that is going to reshape us, we trust him, even when we don't feel comfortable with it. He's saying, I'm doing a greater thing in you than you could possibly imagine for yourself. And this is what happened with David. King David 
before he was king, he was a shepherd boy in whom was given responsibility to take care of sheep. But when God sees our life, he doesn't look at us in how we see each other. Like we can see potential in people, but most of the time we see people with where they are and what they've done, not so much of who they're becoming. See, when when people see a shepherd or a, a shepherdess, God may see a king or a queen. Whatever God is doing in our lives, before he does anything big, he's going to do something small that leads up to something major. And that's what happened with King David. Before we get into our scripture, I want to tell a story about this one man who was born, uh, and uh, while he was born, he was taken out by the forceps, so it kind of damaged some nerves on his face. And as he's growing up, he just had a, he had a passion to, to do movies because he knew through the avenue of movies he would be able to help people and, and inspire people. So he always wanted to do movies. And so when he started to get into the, the movie business, uh, people rejected him. Uh, people said, you're no good. You're not going to amount to anything. And so he tried writing. Well, he tried writing and because writing at that time for when he started wasn't making money his wife was getting upset and said, you need to get a job. I mean, we've heard that before. And he said, well, I didn't get, the, I didn't get a job because I knew if I stopped writing, I, w- I would settle for less than what I knew I could accomplish. And so he kept writing and writing and writing. And he tried selling his stories and his, his uh, screenwriting to different people, his screenplays to different people, different agents. And he got turned down time and time again. Until one day someone was interested in his script. And they bought it for $100. Now, he was broke at that time. He had no money. He had zero. They had no heat in their home, no food in the refrigerator. And they just had nothing. So $100 was like, I'm on my way. Well, he got the $100, but then nothing else came out of it. And so now he's desperate and he's saying, I I need money. How am I going to get money? I have to do something. Well, he has no food. Can't even pay his bills. But he had one thing left. He had a dog. He loved his dog. But because he didn't have money, he, the only thing he could think of was to sell his dog. And so he went down to the liquor store where many people frequented. And so he waited there and kept trying to sell his dog to these different customers. And people said no and no and no. And after a couple days, someone said, okay, I'll buy your dog. How much? And he says, you know what, I... And the guy says, you know what, I'm not going to buy him for $50. So he negotiated with him and ended up selling his dog, his best friend, for $25. His wife had already left him, and so he has nothing. He, He felt that that was the lowest point of his life, walked away crying because he sold his dog. Well, because of that, he's at the lowest point in his life, and he's watching this one boxing match on TV, and it's between Muhammad Ali and Chuck Wepner. Chuck Wepner is, is uh, fighting against the champ, the greatest of all time. And he's doing his very best. But time and time again, he's not able to do well against Muhammad Ali. Well, Chuck Wepner, a white man, keeps coming and coming and coming. Even though he's getting beat down, he keeps coming and coming and coming. 
And he ends up losing the fight. Just then, this man gets an idea. And he writes and writes and writes for three days and finally comes up with a script. Well, he's, he thinks he has a gold mine, and so he goes to different agents, and he says, this is, this is a movie. You guys got to do this movie. And, and they looked at it and said, no, it's not going to amount to anything. It's, it's dumb. It's a dumb idea. It's too predictable. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. Not being discouraged, he kept moving forward. He kept trying. And finally, one day, someone looked at his script and said, okay, we'll give you $100,000 for your script. Now, you'd think he'd take the money and run, but no, he said, well, um, the only way we can make this deal is if I'm in the movie. And he said, you're not an actor. You are a writer. He said, no, no, no I'm an actor. I'm actually an actor. He said, no, 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 you, you can't act. You, you don't have what it takes to act. He says, well, then, if I can't act in my own movie, then no deal. And he walked away from a $100,000 contract from having nothing. He walked away from it. Well, a couple of weeks later, they call him back and say, listen, we really think we have something here. And so we're going to offer you $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars, not to act in your own movie. And he said, no, I need to act in this movie. And they said, well, no deal then. He said, well, I'm out. So he leaves. They call him back, offers him $325,000 not to act in his own movie. And he says, no, no deal. I have to act in this movie. Finally, they said, well, you got to put some skin in this. Because if this movie tanks because you are a bad actor, then we don't lose much. So we'll give you $35,000 for your script. And some points in the movie so that you can get some royalties if it does well. And so he made the deal and he said, okay, $35,000 and I can act in the movie. They said, absolutely. He sold them the script and this was Sylvester Stallone and the movie was Rocky, which took $1 million to make in 28 days and grossed $200 million. Which till this day, the Rocky franchise movie, all seven of them, $1.3 billion. Sylvester Stallone, worth more than $400 million, his net worth. And I looked at this story and I thought, I better start writing. <laughs> what I mean, here's a man who came from nothing but believed in a dream and continued to persevere even though people shot him down, he kept going. Why? Because when others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. You see, there's potential hidden in every single one of us. Every single one of us has a God-given potential that God releases so that we can become the very best that he sees us to be. Here, here's the problem. Many of us settle for less than God's very best. And we say yes to the $100,000 because we think that's our fullest potential. And God says, no, no, no. That's just, that's just on your way to my fullest potential in your life. In this story, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we ask the question, that how does God take someone who is an unknown and bring them in the spotlight? How does how does God do that in our lives for those who believe in him? How, how does he go from one of the lowest points 
in, in our lives? How does God take us from the lowest point in our life to the mountaintops? How, how does he do that? How can someone who's been living in darkness now start living in the light? And how can someone who is living an unrighteous life now begin to live a righteous life for God? How, how does God do that? How does he go from shepherd boy or shepherdess to king or queen? How, how does God do that? Because God does that all the time. And if you read throughout Scripture, God will always turn us around for the greater good. We just have to look for God in those moments because he's able to do that. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to read this story. And I'll read from verse 1 to probably about 50. And so just engage in the story. Put yourself in the scene. Put yourself in this story because we're going to rewind the tape to David and Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkah in Judah. They pitched camp at Aphas Damim between Sukkah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. Now the Philistines, they were the opposing army that always came against Israel and they fought all the time. Well, Saul is the king of Israel, first king of Israel. And so now Saul has the Israelite army going against the Philistines. Well, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another in the valley between, with the valley between them. In verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His, His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in uh, in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel and in the valley of Elah. They're fighting against the Philistines. Well, early in the morning, David left his flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. 
he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they are. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. This time, David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Imagine that. All you have to do is go take down the giant and you pay no taxes and your family no more. So David, that captures David's attention. He says, wait, wait. So what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this, this, this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Oh, Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger and asked David, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and, and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what I have done, David said. Well, that was kind of pigeon. Now what have I done, said David. Can't I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Well, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now that's in verse 32. A chapter before, we find that Samuel the prophet is looking for the next king of Israel because Saul and his anointing, God's anointing, God's anointing had left Saul because Saul did some things that weren't right. And so now, here comes Samuel, and he's looking for the next king of Israel. And he finds David among his brothers. And he anoints David to be the next king of Israel. But David didn't become king yet. But he had the power and the spirit of God by this time. And so we continue in verse 30. Where were we? 33. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and, and he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came out to carry off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. In other words, go get him. Good luck. <laughs> I was just saying, well, may God be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And David said, well, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Now, this was Saul's armor that he was using. 
Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy. So he was a teenager at that time, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I, am I, a, am I a dog that you come, with, you come to me with a stick? Am I a dog? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. That was the Philistine's speech to David. That was Goliath. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. So David ran and stood over him and triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. What a powerful story. What a, what, a, what a victory for the, the nation of Israel. Now, all eyes are on David because of what he just accomplished. And talk about, talk about the, the, the paradox of this guy is not even in the armies and, and he was able to accomplish that. How is that even possible? He, how did he kill this giant with a slingshot? How was that even possible? But David knew that it was not the sword or the spear or his sling or the stone. It was the spirit of the living God. You see, whenever God takes us from where we are today, or even being an unknown or, or, or in darkness or far from God, when he takes us from that point on, it is always going to be God's spirit that continuously battles for us and will bring the victory we may have talent, we may have skill, but we don't have enough to defeat the giants in life. When others see your inabilities, God will always see your potential. We're going to look at three things that will help us to understand how we go from shepherd to king. You can write that in your first point. While others see our inabilities, God sees our potential. See, we, we, before God does any great big thing in our life, he is always going to do the smaller things. Isn't that true? Even as, we, as we're born, before we can eat stew and rice, yeah, we drink milk. We don't just go to a plate lunch. We start off small and then we work our way up. It's the same with God. He says if you're, if you're going to do anything great in the future, then you're going to have to begin to do the smaller things. Before David killed Goliath, he took out the bear and the lion. 
but I'm sure before the bear and the lion, he already took out some wild dogs. Maybe he took out some wolves. Maybe he, maybe he defended his sheep with other people. Who knows? Maybe he rescued his sheep from in, being in a ditch. All we know is that David worked his way up toward the Philistine giant, not just ended up there. And some of us, we want the mountaintop without the ability or without wanting to climb up to the mountaintop. We love arriving. We just don't like what it takes to get there. God says it's all in the small things. It may seem big to us at the time that we're going through whatever it is, but when God brings us the greater blessings, the past big things that that used to seem big become so small compared to the big things that God is doing today. But we needed to accomplish this in order to achieve this. When Heidi and I were, we were going to buy some uh, exercise equipment years ago, uh, we were, we were going to spend a couple hundred dollars for some equipment, and then, and then we, we stopped and we said, wait a minute, if we're going to invest this amount of money in these exercise uh, equipment, then why don't we see if we can be faithful with just doing the little? Let's see if we can just do like 25 push-ups a day. Yeah, 25, I was thinking 25 push-ups. I think I can't even do five, but whatever it is, start off with the little. Let's see if we can work out for just 15 minutes a day. No sense spend hundreds of dollars for this. That's only going to end up in the garage rusting away. Yeah, some of you are smiling right now. You're like, oh, there's something happening in my house because my husband buys something. Or you buy like the, the workout DVDs and you're like, oh, we can get in shape. First day of the year, we can get in shape. This is, this is, we're going to go on a diet. We're going to eat healthy. We're going to eat grass all day. And then we're going to get in shape. I'm going to be ripped. I'm going to look so good. I'm going to be like, yeah. And then three days later, you cannot even move. It's like, ah, I got to rest. I got to rest. Today, my rest day. Today, my rest day. This week is my rest week. Oh, this month, I'm resting. Oh, yeah, I feel good now. I feel good. Oh, three months I was resting. And you no longer go back to the DVDs. All the workout equipment has rusted. Why? Because we weren't even faithful with the little things. If we're not faithful in the little things, we're not going to be faithful in much. And that principle God brings to us. Whenever anyone sees your inabilities, God says, I see your potential. So don't just look at your inabilities. Trust me in the potential that I've given to you. Here's the principle. Whenever you encounter a difficult thing today, it's an indication that God is preparing you for something big tomorrow. Anytime. Let's just say you're trying to quit smoking and you're, you're trying your very best and it's that difficult. God's doing something later down the line. He could be saving your life. He could, be, he could be doing something here so that your children watch you and say, Mom, Dad, you're a champion. I saw you struggle, but you persevered through it. You may be trying to budget your money and save your finances for something later, purchasing a home or a new car or something, but you're so tempted because the sale is so good. How can you deny the buy one, get one free, 90% off, 10% off at the counter, 20% off when you sign up for this credit card? I mean, it's practically free. But then you... You're faithful in that moment, and God says, I'm building something here. See, for many of us, God is saying, you're going to need to be faithful here because I see your potential, and I'm building character here so that you can handle here with the character that is required. That's why many of these sports athletes, when they make the millions here, they don't have the character to sustain them here. And God says... When I see your fullest potential, I'm going to work here. And when everyone else sees your inabilities, I see your fullest potential. And so I'm going to work with you along the way. Zechariah 4, verse 10, 
tells us, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Yeah, do not despise small beginnings. I remember when Heidi and I we were trying to find time to spend with each other. Our children were young. We were so busy doing different things. And we had like 15 minutes together, and we would grumble because we only had 15 minutes together. There's no time. We don't want time for each other. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're busy doing this. Well, you're going to do this. Well, you're playing that. You're doing this. No more time for each other. So he said, well, let's, let's see if we can be faithful with the 15 minutes. Because if, we're, if we only grumble with the 15 minutes we have here, by the time we become empty nesters and our kids are grown up, we're going to kill each other here because if we can't be faithful with the 15 being all lovey-dovey, when we get here, we're going we're gonna to be scrapping all the time. So let's get this right here in the little because we may see our inabilities, but God sees our potential. He's setting us up for our future. So let's work hard at it here. So that we'll develop godly principles and the foundation and character in which to sustain us. So that when we're empty nesters, we actually like each other. Otherwise, you won't even know each other at that point. Yeah, can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah, we're going to be there. That's what we try to do here. That's why we have Rooted and Growing. Because these ministries that we have and and how we can develop uh, and and. Dis- discipline ourselves and be dis- discipled by the Lord. We, we want him to grow us so that as we grow and mature, we can become everything that he sees us to be in reaching our fullest, fullest potential. When Heidi and I had a tough time with our finances in the beginning, we had to remember, wait, that's, the goal is not to get our finances in order and that's it. It's so that we can purchase a home one day and be faithful with our mortgage be faithful with how we take care of our cars and, and have gas money. It, it's, it's here, the little, the little principles that we need to apply so that we can tackle the bigger things later. Jesus said it like this in John 12, 24. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. In other words, Jesus is saying, here's a, here's a kernel. If you hang on to it, that's like your life. If you hang on to it, you lose it. But if you let me do something with it, I can produce something with it. You have to die to it. You got to give it to me. And then it will produce. It will be able to multiply. Why? Because when you see the inability, it's like I just have one seed left. No, no, no. I I can't give you this, God. This is mine. God says, You see the inability that you only have one seed left. I see its potential in producing more. you got to let that go and and let God bring about the plentiful harvest. The second thing that we can learn is that God uses our heart to determine our attitude. Did you know that God never looks at our actual attitude to determine our attitude? He looks at our heart to determine our attitude because our heart never lies to God. We can perform to God. We can look good in front of people, but God will always look at the heart because the heart never lies. The heart is truthful. The heart cannot lie to God because he sees what's in it. We can try our very best to put on the show, but God says, I know what's happening in your heart. Just as doctors use our temperature to find out if there's an infection on the inside, God uses our heart to determine our actual true attitude. 
And whenever God sees our heart and the attitude in which we have with our heart, he's able to determine what direction we are going. That's why the Bible tells us to guard your heart above all else, for out of it flow the issues of life. God says, well, you bring your heart to me because I'm going to use your heart to determine your attitude. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when Samuel was looking for the next king of Israel and he went to Jesse and looked at all the brothers, he's thinking, this has got to be the one. This, one is the, this guy is handsome. He's big. He's strong. He's grown up. He looks good. This must be the next king of Israel. And God kept telling him, nope, it's not the one. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I'm so glad for that because we fail at outer appearance. If our good looks was to gain God's favor, how would we know who looks good and who doesn't? The world changes who looks good and who doesn't throughout time. Even in weight, back in the day, the bigger you are, the better you look. Today, with models, they say the skinnier you are, the better you look. God says, I look at your heart, and you always look good to me. Because I always look at your heart. And when Samuel came to the brothers, Samuel himself said, this, this has to be it. And God says, Samuel, don't be fooled, because there's another one that I'm looking at. And he's a young boy right now. People see his inabilities, but I see his potential. You go and anoint him, and he anointed David to be the next king of Israel. David's heart was accurate with the things of God, so much so that the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And if you know the story of David, it sounds good. He killed Goliath. It's like, wow, this guy's a champ. But he ended up later on in life committing adultery and conspiracy to murder. Really? And that's a guy after God's own heart? Here's why. Because even in David's imperfections, he kept moving forward toward the things of God. He repented, and he kept moving forward. He knew his flaws, and he stayed close to God. That's why we have most of the book of Psalms, because David penned these words. He was a poet, and he wrote these words. That's why when he spoke to the Philistine, you can actually hear the poetic voice of David talking to the Philistine giant. And God saw his full potential, a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47, and we read it. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will, def will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals. Kind of like David turned the tables on him. He used his own poetic words, the giant's poetic words, of throwing him to the birds and wild animals, and he gave it back to me. He said, I'm, he, he's going to destroy you and feed you to the bird and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Here's the question. How is your heart toward the things of God? How is your heart toward the things of God? 
Is it rebellious? Is it skeptical? Is it loving towards God? Is it wanting more of God? Is it hungry for the things of God? Because that's where David was. David was at such a place where even as a shepherd boy, he lived and acted like a king. He didn't wait for the kingship to happen. He said, I have been anointed king of Israel. I better start acting like it. Now listen very carefully. God has already anointed you as a man or woman of God. Let's start acting like it if we haven't. And that anointing, what that means is the power of God on your life. You're different than someone else who does not know God. You have a different power that is not of us. It's a power that comes from God. And I know for many of us, we're saying, yeah, but I still struggle with this. Yeah, you're still going to struggle with it, but nonetheless, God's hand is on your life. That he's given you opportunity after opportunity because he sees your fullest potential. And so what do we do when we encounter problems? Here's the last thing. You run towards problem solving, not away from them. You run towards it, not away from them. You don't cower away. You stand strong. Why? Because God is going to fight the battle for you and he's going to bring the victory. He's, that's who he is. That's how he does things. He starts off with the little, and he keeps building you up, building you up. Then one day you're going to face a giant, and you're going to look back on all the things that God had done, and you're going to say, wait a minute. God, you did this, you did this, you did this. We can do this. After all that we've been through, God, we can go through this because this is an indication that you're doing something greater in our future. Oh, it's a struggle right now in our marriage, but we can do this. We've struggled before. We're at this point in life right now. We can do it, Lord. I know that you can do this. I've seen you come through time and time again. You're releasing my fullest potential, so I run toward the problem, not away from it, and I stand strong with you. And sometimes you run away from it, but God says, no, 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 you are a king. You are a queen. Face problems like a king or a queen does, not run from them some time ago we were uh, Heidi was cooking dinner and I think it was like a pasta or something that was you know you got to just be careful you can't overboil you can't you can't uh, leave it on the stove too long but we got busy with something and all of a sudden we hear something like uh, frying already it's like overcooking and then and then Heidi says is that is that the stove and I said oh, I think so and she runs to the stove. She goes, oh, no, it's overboiling. And so we turn it down, and it didn't get burned. Thanks God, thank God it, was, it was fine. But I thought, that's how we run to problems. You run to problems like something is burning on the stove, like squid luau depended on it. You don't burn that. You run to the stove as if your stew is going to burn. You don't burn stew. You make sure that it's cooked well but not overly cooked. You run to the stove. And so you run to problems like you run to the stove when something's burning. We were uh, fishing out South Point, and now I don't, I don't go fishing, but I'll go. And so we're fishing down there. With, we were with some friends. Holy was there, and, and I think it was his pole. And now, fishermen, when you hear that bell ring, right, you turn into a kid. It's like, ah! and you just start running. Well, maybe not like that because your friends are on your plate. It's like, oh, the bell ringing. Let's go get it. But you run to, the, you run to your pole. And then you make sure you bring it in. Now, I'm back at the camp. And they said, bring the flashlights. Everybody leaves me. So I'm here with all the flashlights, you know, trying to shine the light. And we actually caught a shark. So I, I was amazed. They were mad. Like, man, you took my bait. And I'm thinking, well, that was pretty cool. But then I thought, we, we should run to problems like we run to our Ulua poles. 
not away from it. You hear that bell ring, you're not saying, ah, I'll take care of them later. No, you say, I'm going to run because I don't want to lose it. Well, you run to problems. You don't back away from it. Why? Because your God is bigger than your problem. Small in comparison to who God is. It may seem big right now, but you've seen greater ones. You've seen God do great things. You've read in his word that how God was able to handle the bigger problems. You run toward them because you're running toward them with the living God, the God of the universe. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 48, we're reminded that as the Philistine moved closer to attack David, what did David do? He ran quickly. He didn't take his time. He didn't, he didn't back away and say, oh, man, my poem never work. He's not afraid. You know how it was, in, you know, in your younger days? It's like people would say, hey, if you cannot fight, act like you can. <laughs> so the guy is next to you. He's like, come on, come on. He's showing all his, you know, and you're like, I take you on. Come on. And if you're louder, and you'd be like, oh, this guy, might, he might be able to fight. Then he might back off. Well, this didn't work with the Philistine. Now the Philistine is coming closer. And David runs quickly toward the giant. And he defeats him. And here's why. Because David's faith put him into action, not the other way around. David already won the battle. He was just running to catch up with what God had already done. The battle is already won, guys. Face the problems. Run towards them with the living God. I want to close with this story. And I, t- I talked about, you know, uh, Sylvester Stallone in the beginning. And Glenn, you can come to the keyboard, please. And the reason why I tell the story is not just to give a, a, a cool story of how someone goes from nothing to something. Because it, it was never about the money. Even in the story, as I tell it, it has nothing to do with the money. It has to do with the principle of what God is able to do in someone's life. Well, when Sylvester Stallone sold his dog, and he, he was able to get this contract with his movie, Rocky, and this $35,000 deal, you would think that the first thing he did was Go out and party and celebrate with family and friends and say, I, I, my, my movie got picked and I'm going to be acting in it. You'd think that, oh boy, this 35000 what did you, did you buy a car? What did you get? The first thing he did was he went back to the liquor store to buy his dog back. And he waited day after day, day after day. And finally he saw the man and he says, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I sold you this dog. And his, the man said, yeah, thank you so much. I love this dog. He goes, well, I love him too, but uh, I want to know if I can buy him back. And the guy says, no way. You're, no way. I love this dog too much. He says, I sold him to you for 25 bucks. I'll pay four times the amount. I'll, I'll give you $100. And the guy says, no, I'm sorry. He said, I'll give you $500. And the guy said, no, I'm, I'm not going to sell him. He says, I'll, I'll give you a thousand because I love my dog. And the man said, no amount of money is going to make me give up this dog. Well, the end result was that Sylvester Stallone did end up getting his dog, and it costed him $15,000 plus 
a part in the movie for this guy. And he's, <laughs> he's in Rocky along with his dog in Rocky. That's what Jesus did for you and I. That we were distant from him. And Jesus said, what would it cost to get my people back to me? Because sin has separated us. What will it cost? Well, it costed him his entire life. And Jesus said, I will be willing to do that because I love them so much. Because I see where they're at. And when others see a shepherd or a shepherdess, God sees a king or a queen. And Jesus became the servant in the hopes that one day you and I would make him our king. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you have given us hope. You've given us a future. Not only do you see where we are today, but you also see where we can be in our future. You see our potential. And when others see our inabilities, you see our, our full potential. And we go through challenges, Lord, but, but we know that even though we go through challenges, you are there with us. For the Lord is our shepherd, and we shall not want. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. And so, Lord, restore us. Restore us today. Make us into the people you see us to be. You're the potter, and we're the clay. There may be some of you here today, and you're saying, I've never given Jesus my heart. I, I'm, I may be far from him. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm close to him. I don't know. But all I know is he did something in my heart today, and I want to give him my life. And if that's you, would you just shoot your hand up real quickly? You're saying, I, I want Jesus in my life. I want to give him my heart. I want to believe in him. Yeah, God sees your hands. Okay, God sees you. Anybody else? You're saying, I want Jesus in my life. Good, God sees you. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, right here, God sees you. You can put your hands down. How many of us, even as believers, as a believer, we believe in Jesus, that we're not going to settle for anything less than God's very best. If that's you and you're saying, God, I want my fullest potential release, you raise your hand. Yeah, all of us, Lord, you see these hands. Bless these whose hands are raised right now. Even those who said yes to you, Lord, release our full potential. Lord, I pray your blessing over each and every one here this morning that your fullest potential will be realized in their lives. You can put your hands down. Let's pray this prayer together, especially for those who are saying this for the very first time. And as I say these words, you just include the heart. Even if you've prayed this prayer before, it's such a reminder that God is continuously releasing our potential. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the grave. I believe in you. I give you my heart. Release my full potential and make me into the person that you see me to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen, amen.